Psalm 139, a very doctrinal psalm, but also a very practical, uh, personal, and powerful psalm. I don't know if there's anyone here tonight who's struggling. I'm, I'm sure there is, but I believe that this psalm can be a life-changing psalm because the way that the enemy operates is he's a liar. Lucifer is a liar. And what he does is he lodges these lies within our hearts. And what the Bible is, is the truth. In John chapter 17, Jesus said, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And so today we're going to look at some truths, I think, that can be so helpful, so life-changing. Number one, God knows you perfectly. We're going to see that tonight, how God knows you intimately. God knows you perfectly. And then we're going to see how God is with you constantly. There's not a valley that you'll travel through. There's not a pit of pain that you will ever experience in life. There's not a, a day of darkness that you will ever discover where God is not with you. And these are important for us to know that God knows us perfectly. God is with us constantly and how God made us personally. And we're going to see that we were, when we were conceived, that we were knit together in our mother's womb, all of us here. Not just Adam, you know, because some say, well, Adam was the first that was formed by God's hands and he's the only one. No, David here says that God formed me in my mother's womb. And when we see these three truths, we're going to see how God uh, will teach us to apply it to our lives. One of the beautiful things and important things in life uh, that David knew is that not only did he know doctrine and the attributes of God, like we're going to study today how God is omniscient and how God is omnipresent, but, but when you know this about God, you got to know how to apply them to your own lives. It is critical that we cultivate a heart that connects the doc, doc, dots of doctrine, so to speak, to our lives. Because if we don't connect those dots, if we don't apply it to our life, then we will feel, I think, in many ways disconnected from God. And so, you know, I don't know if you're here and you're struggling in any way. I think sometimes the enemy comes in and he oppresses. Uh, I know that uh, God wants to set us free. God wants to deliver. God wants to bless. God wants to take us to this level. You know, we're in one sense. Uh, we can move mountains. We can walk on water. And so notice what David says here in, in verse 1. It says, it's a chief, for, the, for the chief musician, a psalm of David, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it here we see not, some people will say well it's just God's omniscience God knows everything well it's not just that God knows everything God knows me he knows my middle name he knows my inner pain God knows me that's what David is saying here the, the first attribute of God is his omniscience the fancy 50 cent word that means he knows everything and he knows 
every one, and so he knows me. And David says, uh, we can all say the same. You know, right here in verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me. The word search, it means to examine, to explore, to investigate thoroughly. Warren Wiersbe said the verb search, it means to examine with pain and care. The Jewish people, he said, use this word to describe digging deep into a mine, exploring land, and investigating a legal case. You know, and that's what he's saying, how, how God, even though God's omniscient, he already knows, he doesn't have to discover, but he's just basically saying, this is how much God knows you. He knows every hair you have. They say on the average, every person has 100,000 hairs. He knows when one falls off. He knows when one grows. He knows when a sparrow falls to the ground. He knows every star by name. Not one is missing. And God knows not just, you know, people generally. He knows me perfectly, intimately. And, and this is very important for us. We're going to see to, to go through life, just to know this. Some people say, God doesn't know me. Oh, yes, he does. He knows you thoroughly, intimately, infinitely, even more than you know yourself. He knows all about you. He knows you best, and he loves you most. Think about that. I mean, who knows you the way that God does? You know, we see in verses 1 through 3 that he knows our ways. Notice again there, he says in verse 2, you know my, my sitting down and, and my rising up. And so sitting down, rising up, these are two opposites. And the literature, uh, the, the figure that they use is called a merism. And in rhetoric, a merism is a combination of two contrasting words uh, and to referring to an entirety. So he knows when I sit, he knows when I rise, and he knows everything in between. Uh, and you know, and I was thinking about this, and I'm just kind of like stretching it a little bit. I hope it's okay. Please don't get mad at me. But I was just thinking about how he knows the ups and downs of life. You know, even within a day. I don't know how you guys are. Sometimes you feel great, man. You're, it's a great day today. But then all of a sudden something happens or whatever. It could be just a a cloudy feeling, you, you're oppressed, and then you're down. And it could be in a day, it could be a season. How sometimes you have those seasons of life where it just seems like everything is going well and you're feeling great, and then, boom, everything plunges. I mean, I think probably most of us here, we experience the ups and downs. And, of course, right here he's just talking about how God knows all our, our ways, Right? I mean, he understands, it says here in verse 2, my, my thought from afar. And probably not a matter of distance because God's omnipresent. It's a reference to time. He knows our thoughts even before we think them. He knows them far off into the future. And if you think about it, at the end of the day, this is the only way you can really know a person. What are they thinking right now? What are they thinking? God knows us perfectly, intimately, personally. He knows when we sit. He knows when we rise. He knows everything in between. He knows our thoughts from afar off. You know, we read this about Jesus in Matthew 9, verse 4, but Jesus knowing their thoughts. He said, why do you think evil in your heart? And so, you know, when we look at this God that 
we, 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 we worship. I, I, a lot of people wonder, we don't know for sure the background to this psalm, but we're going to see in the end. I believe David was going through a very difficult time in his life. And in the very end, he's going to say, you know, I, 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 these people that are, that are wicked, Lord, I hate them. And I think at the end, we're going to see that he was probably struggling with Satan and society and sin within. Sometimes you go through hard times and you don't know if it's the devil or maybe it's your disobedience that's dragging you through these things. And you ask God to show you what it is because you want victory. So when you're in the middle of the struggles, when you're in the middle of the pain, it helps to know that God knows you best and he loves you most. That God knows you, everything you're doing. You know, he's watching over us. He's omniscient. He searches me, knows me, my ups and downs, my thoughts from afar. It says right here in verse 3, you, you comprehend my path and, and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. And so my path, uh, it's interesting. The word comprehends, it means he winnows my path. And so he sifts through it. And this is so beautiful, seeing every step I take. I mean, he, he comprehends my path. He's 100% aware of my walk. And, and then when I lie down, we read there in verse 3 that he's acquainted with all our ways. And the Hebrew word means to know intimately. And so, you know, God, he knows us perfectly. He knows our ways and he knows our words. Notice it says that there in verse 4, for there is not a word singular. He knows every single word. For there's not a word on my tongue, but behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. Sometimes you have a word on the tip of your tongue and you don't even know it. God knows it, right? I mean, he knows our conversations completely. And when I ponder that, I think every syllable of every sentence I say, the tone of voice, how I say it, when I say it, why I say it, God knows all these things. You know, the Lord is always listening, in case you didn't know. In Matthew 12, verse 36, the Bible says, but I, Jesus said, but I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. Every word. You know, sometimes we disrespect our children, or maybe we disrespect someone in a position of authority. God will require it of us. It's interesting to me, and I was talking to my daughter about this, and I said, sweetheart, you know, Psalm 139, knowing that God knows everything we think, every word we say, what do you think? Does that make you feel um, good or, or a little fearful? And she said, both, Dad. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I think kind of that's what it does. Underneath this psalm, I think the, the intention is to comfort us, because we're all struggling. We all uh, are fighting this good fight. And it's so important for us to know that God knows us. That, that God, you know, is with us. That God made us. It's so important to know that. But at the same time, it's important to know that we can't just, you know, speak footloose and fancy free. 
You know, every thought, now it doesn't mean the passing thoughts, because the enemy could put a temptation in your mind, but things that you conjure up and things that you dwell on, God knows all that. So we have to bring every thought into captivity and every word. We have to make sure that that is something that's okay for us to say in our Father's eyes, in our Father's ears. You know, the Lord is always listening. And, uh, you know, I think nowadays we can kind of relate to this. And this is kind of a funny thing. Uh, how many of you here have uh, an Alexa at home, just out of curiosity? Alexa. You guys know what I'm talking about? Not that many. Um, you know, Alexa is the speaker thing, and it's voice activated. And I don't know all the details on this, but I was reading an article recently that said Alexa is always listening. And so, you know, supposedly the microphone is uh, started when you say Alexa, and then the light turns on, right? But then when you begin to speak, did you guys know that the, what gets spoken into your Alexa then is taken to all over the world? There, they say there are people uh, all over the world, they have thousands of employees that are working on making sure that the voice activation and all that kind of stuff is accurate. It was according to a Bloomberg report. And so I don't know if that scares you, like people are listening. You know, you wonder like, hey, this does have the capacity to, to listen and it can be transferred all over the world. They said that usually when that happens, uh, if someone just keeps on talking, they'll hear parents screaming at their kids. Uh, they hear different conversations going on. One time they even recorded a sexual assault. So I was thinking about that. We, you know, these, the, the, you know, they're listening through technology, but God's listening. That's our theology. And we have to know that. That's why the Bible says, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. Because God hears everything. And that's what he's saying right here. You know, we have that technology, but God doesn't need technology, right? We know who God is, and he hears everything just because of the fact that he's omni, um, omniscient and omnipresent. Nothing gets spoken behind his back that he doesn't hear. But at the same time, it's not just the bad things. It's also the good things. In Malachi 3, verse 16, the Bible talks about the book of remembrance. And there's a cool verse there. It says, then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and those who meditate on his name. And so you're there, and you're talking about the Lord, and you're fellowshipping. Isn't it kind of cool to know the Lord listens, the Lord hears? And there's even a book written when you're encouraging other people. You know, but, but I think when I read this psalm, I think, you know, I don't know about you, but, you know, for me, I'm thinking, man, David, he's struggling. He's hurting. He's dying inside. Uh, and maybe you're, you've been there in the pit, in the pain, and you wonder, does God hear me? Does God hear me? That's why it's so important to read this psalm and to soak it in. Yes, he hears you. He hears you every single time you speak. 
And that's why this psalm is so important for us to know. He hears you. He knows everything about you. Remember when the Lord eventually sent Moses to deliver the children of Israel? Of course, they probably would have wanted him to come earlier, but it was in God's perfect timing, a little over 400 years it took. But then when God eventually appeared to Moses and commissioned him to free the Jews from the bondage of Egypt, it says in Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. You know, and God, you know, it, it, some say, well, you should have come earlier. It was just God's perfect timing. And I want to encourage you, don't lose heart. Don't give up. Take these truths and soak them in. God knows me. God hears me. Because a lot of times those lies get lodged deep within us and we don't realize God knows me. He knows my, my ways. He knows my, my words. He knows my wars even. Look at verse 5. It says, you have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. You know, he, he's there in the front. He's there in the back. The presence of God is the protection of God. He, he builds a hedge. As a matter of fact, he is the hedge. He's the protection. The, the Hebrew word right here, translated hedge, is usually translated to besiege in the Bible, and it means to confine, to shut in, to secure and enclose. And God, when you're a child of God, then he has protected you like this. You know, something I, I want to share with you, and, and again, I don't know how you guys feel about this but look at verse 5 he says and, and laid your hand upon me and so that might just be like you know God's you know care for us but I was thinking about Philippians chapter 3 where it says that I may lay hold of him you know because he has laid hold of me when I, when I see this, I almost think of salvation. I think of like how, how it's selected, selective, how God has laid his hands on me. And then something I notice interesting about this psalm is that there's a few times where it mentions God's hand. And, and then again, if you look at verse 10, notice he says, and even there your hand shall lead me. That's... Um, direction and look at verse 10 and your right hand shall hold me that's protection I think kind of like God laying hold of him is salvation and then you have direction and then you have protection it's kind of cool when you see it that way all I know is that God has laid his hand upon this individual and when you place your faith in Jesus Christ who died for us on a cross and was placed in a tomb. He rose three days later. When you place your faith in him, repenting of your sins and receiving him as Lord and Savior, then you are saved. That's what the Bible says. They said, who, how can we be saved? Acts chapter 16. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And so in one sense, God will lay his hand on you. God will save you. I think we see that here and we know that God is protecting him. 
And so, encouraging you guys, look at verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. And what I, what I see David saying here, you mean to tell me, Lord, you know all my thoughts, all my words, all my ways, when I sit down, when I rise up, when I lie down. You're acquainted with me intimately and perfectly. Me? He says, when I really think about it, it's beyond my comprehension. It's beyond my imagination. But I believe it with all my heart. And so he goes next into the second portion, how God is not just um, a God who knows you, but he's a God who's with you. Look at verse 7. Where, where can I go from your spirit? Or, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. So the omni, omniscience of God, um, from two Latin words, omni and science, all knowledge. God has all knowledge. And then the omnipresence of God, another fancy 50-cent word that means that God himself is everywhere at all times. He's not just watching in some miraculous monitor up in heaven. Uh, no, he's, he's there. He's here. He's not just near. He's here. He's omnipresent. We need to know this. It's so important for us. Now, David asked a couple of questions there in, in verse 7. Where, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? And the obvious answer is, I can't. I can't, I can't flee from your, your presence. You know, David here, he says in verse 8, If I ascend into heaven, you are there. And I think that we all can understand that. But look what he says next. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. And it's an interesting concept. Um, theologians differ on exactly what that means, but most would say that God is present in judgment in hell. So you, you can't escape his presence. I mean, maybe David was thinking about some people who try to hide from God. You know, you, you just can't. Your sin will find you out. There's a lot of people sometimes in the church that are in secret sin. God will shout it from the mountaintops because you can't hide from God. There's nowhere you can go and flee from his spirit. There in, in verse 9, if I take the wings of the morning, I, I can't escape God. And the wings of the morning is the speed of light as the sun rises uh, on the earth and it travels uh, 186,000 miles per second. Think about how fast that is. Some of you guys can run pretty fast, but probably not that fast. Maybe you have a fast car. Maybe you got a jet. You can't escape. 186,000 miles per second. That means that if you're traveling at that speed and you circled the globe, you would circle the globe seven and a half times every second. You know, so you, can't, you can't escape 
from God. You, you can't. All, all that to say, what's he saying? That no matter how hard we try, no matter how hard uh, we run, no matter how fast we fly, we can't hide from God. We can't escape his, his presence. I, I think the, there's probably two that we consider uh, that would most qualify for this. One is when Adam and Eve fell into sin, they tried to hide from God. They couldn't. But probably the poster child for the one who tried to hide from God the most is Jonah, right? Jonah said, I want you to go warn the Ninevites. And Jonah had in his heart, not those guys, they are so wicked. They are so deserving of judgment. God called him uh, 500 miles east, and Jonah booked a ship to go 2,000 miles west. And the Bible literally says in Jonah chapter 1, verse 3, that Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. You know, and, and for us, I mean, I don't know if you would ever want to flee from the presence of the Lord. Like I said earlier, I think for me, this psalm is more about, Lord, you're, you're with me. Lord, you know me. You know my struggles. You know my tears. You know how sometimes I'm in the middle of a crowd and I feel all alone. Lord, you know everything I've gone through, the way I've been hurt, the way I've failed. You know me best, but you love me most. And then there's nowhere I can go, even there in the pit. You're with me. I think that at the end of the day, that's kind of what I'm coming away with. But at the same time, it's just good to know this doctrine of God's omnipresence that I, that I can't escape his presence. Jonah tried, and as he went in the ship, the Bible says that God sent a wind. God sent a wind, and then the you know, storm, and the, the ship's about to sink, and the soldiers and the guys in the ship are wondering what's going on. They knew it was Jonah's fault. And so, you know, we read in Jonah chapter 1, verse 10, the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord. Because he told them, that's what I'm doing. I'm fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And so God not only sent a wind, God sent a whale or a big fish, some type of creature that swallowed him. But the, the thing that's crazy about it is the same Hebrew word is used for hell that word Sheol, that where Jonah ended up. In Jonah chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried, and you heard my voice. And I, and I pray that there's no one here that will have ever gone to that place that pit, that darkness, that pain. But, but if you've been around long enough, I'll bet you you have known people that have sunk so low that they almost feel like they're, on, they're in hell on earth. It almost feels that way so hard. They don't want to live. It's almost like they died. That's where Jonah was. I don't want to go over there. But God went after him. God sent the wind and God sent the whale. And there, as he's in that place, and maybe you're there in that place tonight, I pray you would do what Jonah did and cry out to the Lord. 
And the Lord heard. Why? Because the Lord is omnipresent. You know, through the ups and, and downs of life, it doesn't matter if it's peachy king or if it's pitch black, whether it's day or dark. God's not simply aware. He's there. He's not simply near. He's here. And there in verses 11 and 12, where it says, uh, if, I, if I say surely that the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Why? Because God had laid hold of him. Because you're a child of God. He's going to go after you, right? Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. Why? Because God, I mean, he doesn't need night goggles. He sees everything so clearly. And this should encourage us. See, this psalm teaches us that God knows you perfectly, that God's with you constantly if you're a Christian. And then thirdly, that God made you purposely. Look at verse 13. It says, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. What he's saying right here is God made him, handmade, so to speak. And Genesis 2, verse 7, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. And there you see God forming man in one sense. Of course, it probably wasn't literal at that time. God didn't have a body yet until Jesus was incarnated. But, you know, God forming him, right? And, and some might say, well, that was true of Adam. But again, here David teaches us that we're all made in that personal way. Do you believe that? I need to ask you that question tonight. All you guys here tonight, do you believe that God knows you? That God knows all that you, you're going through, all your struggles, all your questions, all your worries, all your pains, all your problems. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he's with you in the mountaintops, in the valleys, wherever you go? You know, I mean, when you're driving everywhere, do you believe that? And do you believe that when you were conceived in your mother's womb, that he knit you together? Like the Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, God said, before uh, you were born, I ordained you as a prophet to the nations, God said. I knew you even before you were born. God has this life for, for you, for Jeremiah, Ephesians chapter 2, it says, For we are his workmanship, in verse 10, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, some people look at themselves and they think, I'm just a mistake, I'm all messed up. Somehow, you know, God, you know, didn't pay attention when I was born or whatever, and, and you know, what he's trying to say is absolutely not. All the, you know, the reason I'm so tall is because God made me this way. I mean, the gray hair that I got early, it's all part of God's plan. You know, everything about me, it's all part of God's plan. I believe that with all my heart, all my flaws, all my cracks, all my failures. I'm not blaming my sin on him. I'm just blaming, you know, this body that I have, this life that I've been given, where I was born, when I was born. God knit me together in my mother's womb. You have to believe that. Take God at his word. 
You know, Warren Wiersbe said this is one of the greatest passages in literature about the miracle of human conception and birth. Here in verse 13, it means woven together, covered, it means woven together, skillfully made. It's the same word translated embroidered in the book of Exodus. You see, we're, we're knit together in our mother's womb by God. You know, and just as a, I don't know if this is a side note, it could be probably a main point. Here we see that the moment of conception, there is life. God sees that soul there, and that's why abortion is such a horror. Because right here we see the life. You know, they, I was reading up a little bit on this. They say at two weeks there's a discernible heartbeat. 43 days, the baby has detectable brain waves. Six and a half weeks, the unborn baby starts moving. Nine weeks, the baby has a unique set of fingerprints. Sex can be determined. Kidneys are fully formed and functioning. At just 12 weeks, all the body organs are in operation. The baby can cry. All above, all that is, is things that take place within the first trimester. Why are we even debating as far as, you know, when... A life can be taken because even though things happen early, we got to know that at the moment of conception, God is already forming us together in our mother's womb. And, and even before the baby's conceived, that God already has plans. And we're going to see that in our text today, the days that are fashioned for you. Because in one sense, we're handmade. We are, we are fearfully made. Look what it says in, in verse 14. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. See, fearfully made, wonderfully made, the complexity of the creation reveals the glory of the designer. And we could spend all day talking about how amazing uh, the human body is. Your eyes can distinguish between 8 to 10 million different colors. Your ears can hear between 300 to 400,000 different tones. Every day, your body produces 1 billion red blood cells. Within the human body, they say there are 30 to 40 trillion cells, depending on how big you are, 100 billion neurons in our brain, and 100 to 1,000 trillion connections between those neurons. Think about the wiring within the human brain. See, we are, we are fearfully and wonderfully made but this is what he's moving towards, that, that we are purposely made. Look at verse 16. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand when I awake. I am still with you. The, the days fashioned for me. You know, and I was thinking about that today and just spending time with the Lord, even today. You know, even yesterday, you know, the things that you did, that I, whatever. I got a phone call from a young man. He's a junior 
in high school and he's trying to make a real big decision, a real big life decision. What does the Bible say about this? This is a guy that doesn't even come to church here and just somehow ended up hooking us up and just thinking about look, all those conversations, all the counseling, all the scriptures you sent out, all the way you shine, the way that you share every single day. It was all part of God's plan and the way he uses you. That's what he's saying right here. And that's why it's important for us to know. I think this is encouraging because sometimes people lose hope. Sometimes people think that they have no purpose. Why was I made? And it's because the enemy comes in and he, and he lodges those lies within the hearts of the people. You know, I thank God that David, somewhere along the line, he knew this to be true. He knew that God knew everything he was going through. All the struggles, all the turmoil within, all the way, you know, that the enemy would tempt him with lies and the different battles that were raging. David knew that God knew. David knew that God was always with him, even when he was on the run, even when he was living in the caves. David knew that God was with him every step of the way. And David knew, somehow he knew, even though, you know, he was maybe the, the run of the litter at one time, or I don't know the, how it was, but he was young, and, he, you know, his dad didn't even think that he had the potential to be anything. But David knew, no, God made me for a purpose. David knew that I was handmade, formed by God. He had these plans for my life. And I, because, I believe it was because of his theology about God that he was able to follow through with that plan and one day become king. But it's not that he wanted to become king because he wanted to the position of power. It's because he would be this sweet psalmist. He would be the, the servant king. That would be a typology, a picture, an ancestor of Jesus Christ. And I, and I think the same is true for all of us here. It's your theology. It's not me. It's not my goodness. I keep my eyes on the Lord because I know, even though I'm nothing, that he's all I need and he has made me with a purpose. We have to know these things. And Warren Worsby said, the Lord did more than design and form our bodies. He also planned and determined our days. This probably includes the length of life and the tasks he wants us to perform. And that's each and every day. We are God's work and that should affect our, our walk and our work each and every day. You know, God, you know, think about this. Look at verse 18, thinking about God's thoughts. Verse 17, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they'd be more in number than the sand. You know, as a husband, as a dad, I think about my family a lot. And, and every once in a while, because guys tend to be maybe a little bit more selfish, I have to just kind of like move myself to, to think about them. You know, like what is she, I know, I know you know what you want for breakfast, but what does she want for breakfast? 
Now, I know, you know, you're worried about what you're reading, and that's cool. You've got to be on track and stuff. Just curious, what's she reading? I know you know what you want to watch. What does she want to watch? What do they want to watch? You know, his thoughts, God's thoughts about us are more than the sands of the sea. And that's what he's saying right there, how precious they are. I mean, doesn't it? That's what he says right here. It's beyond my comprehension. It's beyond my imagination that the God of the universe loves me this much. He knows us best, and yet he loves us most. God knows you perfectly. God's with you constantly. God made you purposely. And so I think he's moving towards this. Lord, lead me intimately. Because look what he says. And it's kind of interesting. how He almost seems to shift gears. But he says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men. For they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Now, I know it's a big psalm. It's, there's so much here. And I've taught this psalm before, and it's interesting how you can teach it. I don't know. You see new things. When I come to the end right here, I feel like this is kind of what it was all moving towards, that David wanted guidance, that David needed the Lord to lead him. And so he's talking about how God knows him, how God's with him, how God made him. And somewhere in this, he's going, and there's, a, there's a battle going on. And there's three things I was thinking about, Satan, society, and sin. And I'll tell you this, you guys, the enemy is real. There are demons, there are principalities, there are powers, there are lies, there are liars. And sometimes, and we don't believe that a Christian can be possessed. We don't believe that. But can a Christian be oppressed? Absolutely. And we need deliverance. We need God to break these chains. And somehow there's this aspect of an aggressive cooperation. How am I going to break those chains? How am I going to defeat the devil? And I, and I think that when I read this right here, he's talking about these, these men that are wicked and he hates them. And of course, we know as Christians that we don't hate the sinner, but we hate the sin. Do you hate the sin? You got to hate the sin. He hates the sin with a perfect hatred. And then, but when I, when I read it right here, to me, and I'm, kind of like using New Testament light because we know Jesus said you're supposed to pray for your enemies. 
I think also of the demons, like I hate them. Lord, judge them. Send them to the pit before their time. Here, basically what he's saying is slay the wicked around me and Lord, slay the wicked within me. No, to hate them, it, it meant to disavow any association with them. We need to have that holy hatred. You guys see the things going on in the world that are wicked. I, I was reading this one quote earlier. Adrian Rogers wrote a devotional this week, and he said this, God will judge any nation that continues to print pornography, abort babies, applaud sodomy, and then sing, God bless America. God's going to deal with That's why the rapture makes so much sense to me, because some of you guys, we love the Lord. We're right on. He's going to take us out, and then boom. He says right here, judge the wicked around me. But then I think in verses 23 and 24, he says, and, and, and help me with the wicked, if there's any wicked within me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me. Why the trial? Why the struggle? Why? It's Satan? It might be sin. Oh, I don't see no sin. Well, God might see something you don't see. And that's why you have to pray this prayer. Lord, you search me. Because what does the Bible say in Jeremiah chapter 17? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know, the heart, is, it deceives. It doesn't just deceive others. Sometimes you deceive yourself. It's deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can know the heart? Do you really know your heart? Oh, I know my heart. No, you don't. God's the only one that really knows the motives of the heart. God's the only one who really knows the potential for wickedness in every single one of us. Now, I think it was Socrates and then some of his students, eventually they, they, they began to say that the most important thing is to know yourself. Know thyself. You can't know yourself unless God shows you what's really going on. And that's why David prays this prayer. Lord, search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me, know my anxieties. See if there's any wicked way in me. And then, boom, Lord, lead me in the way everlasting. You know, when I read that in, in closing, I circled the words, the way. Lead me in the way. You know, in the early days when the church first started, they were called the way. Huh. And Jesus said in John 14, uh, verse 6, I am what? The way, the truth, and the life. Lord, here I am, and I don't know, we're all in different spots. We're all in different places. We all have different callings. We're all in different wars, different battles, different challenges. Here I am. Lord, if there's any anything satanic that's influencing or got a hold of me or my family, anything in society, these 
bad guys. Any sin, Lord, show me. And Lord, lead me. And I know you will. Because I believe in you, that you love me, not in light of me, but in spite of me. That you love me because I'm your child, because I place my faith in Jesus Christ. And I know, Lord, that you are the God who is with me, you know me, and you made me. And I, I think that with that understanding of who God is, it'll help us.